as I put in the invitation out on Facebook, erase our names from off the tombstone all over the place. Exercises in E Pluribus Unum. AOTP is back for a Halloween, uh, well, Halloween Day, uh, midterm election eve live stream. Jim, how are you, my friend? I am excellent, sir. How are you? Doing quite well. And this is, uh, for me, it is the first live stream, the first podcast from the new location, moving from the secret headquarters, well, not so secret headquarters, in South East Mesa. I am now in Southwest Mesa. You can't track me down, folks. Well, you, you could have probably rather easy. Just look for the uh, for a car with a lot of Penn State stuff on it. That'd be me. So uh, every six months, that's how you stay ahead of them. <laughs> good to know. Very good to know. So and, and like it's a Halloween uh, episode. So we're going to get into we're going to talk about some of our favorite horror movies. Jim's going to be able to go on a lot longer with that one because I'm the kind of guy horror is typically not my thing. And I, I say typically because it, it uh, 99 times out of 100 or even counting on less than two hands, eight out of nine times, it has to involve comedy of some sort. So that's a, uh, makes for a rather short list for me. And uh, Jim, I'm sure you, actually, let, let's start with you because you are more the uh, horror aficionado than I. Well, what, what are your, what are some of your go-tos for this spooky festivities and uh, holiday season? Well, I'll start off by saying that like you, my taste in horror tend toward a little bit of comedy sprinkled in there to give it a grain of salt. Um, I do like some really pure horror, but, uh, you know, for the Halloween season, I like it a little bit lighter, uh, scarier, but, uh, there is some, there is a little bit of pure horror on my list, but some of them are more, um, more comedic. Some of them are more family friendly because we got a kid in the house. And sure. so, uh, so some of these are, are, you know, they're, you know, so basically we're just talking, you know, our regular Halloween watches and some of them are, our family watches and some of them are kind of those are and, and those are kind of going by the wayside now that now that kiddo's getting older and you can probably guess which ones are our uh, family watches and which ones are not so um so probably number one on my list well, let, let, let's see if i can guess go ahead, go ahead, let's, go see ahead. If I can guess. let's see how good my, my guessing powers are and okay. it's in my top five if not maybe not my top five but definitely in my top 10 uh it's a, it's one that straddles the line can be both a a halloween watch and a Christmas watch, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Is that in your top ding, five? Ding, 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 ding. That's actually yeah. my number one, yeah. All right. So, yeah. so I, I just cut you off before you're about to get to it. Folks, we did not <laughs> rehearse this. I had no idea what he was about to say. So go for it. Why, why is that your number one? Well, I mean, I've, I've been a fan since high school, and really it's kind of a perfect encapsulation, I think, of of uh, what makes Halloween so so great. And it's just a really, a really fun, really imaginative movie, and it's a family movie that everybody can enjoy. Uh, so it's been a personal favorite for, geez, seven since it came out. So going on 30 years, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. It came out in, uh, I was, uh, 93 or 94. I want to say 93 because I think I had already moved to my position as a manager, not a coma, not an assistant manager back in, back in the Berg. So you say high school and that was just out of college for me. Right. And, uh, so. Yeah, I remember, and I up until I, I had to retire it, uh, but I won a Jack Skellington T-shirt because we had a uh, Disney came out. They're they're really getting ready to hype this thing towards the holiday season, and they yeah. uh, they were giving away Jack Skellington. They gave away a Jack Skellington T-shirt, and I was the youngest of the managers. I got thrown into it. I shouldn't have been a manager. I'll be the first to admit it. But they were desperate. Any managers can say that they were desperate, and I'll be the first to admit that. Uh, that I took the mantle of the uh, the manager over at the Squirrel Hill Three back in back in Pittsburgh, and but so I was surrounded by a bunch of guys who you typically uh, they had their meetings in you know stogie smoke filled rooms, so they had no idea the answer to the question, and I'm sure you know this, uh, but the question rather easy for someone who's just gotten out of uh, a broadcast film and theater degree, uh, what was the name of Tim Burton's first film, which and they they include the short. I believe that was Frankenweenie. Very good. You had you you could have duped it out with with me for winning that T-shirt, and but I wore that T-shirt for a long time, and it uh, was starting to get the uh, the Al Bundy yellowing of the collar, uh, maybe a little bit afraid on it. But I was very fortunate. Before I left L.A., I got to see Danny Elfman conduct an orchestra <clears throat> at the Hollywood Bowl while the movie played up above, and 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 it was performed 
live action or live time by the principal actors, voice actors in the film. Nice. So we had Danny Elfman, uh, of course, did the singing for Jack, and also he uh, took over for Chris Sarandon uh, mm-hmm. with the, the the dialogue, regular dialogue. So Catherine O'Hara, uh, I blank all the time. You, I, I hope you know this. Your you know, your film trivia is better than mine, uh, and that's saying something, folks. I'm humble enough to say that I, I, I've got music trivia. I'll beat the snot out of pretty much anybody except for Mark McGrath and Zach Selwyn, but so my film, I will gladly say, you know, there are people far smarter than I. A lot, a lot going on up here, but not everything. But uh, the guy who played Oogie Boogie, he was there. Uh, and of the the little uh, the little minion-type characters, and we can't say minions anymore because there are actual minions in the uh, cinematic universe now. But uh, Paul Rubens was also there to do his voice. Okay. So, and But that was just an incredible night. And I, I don't miss much about L.A., but I miss being able to go to events like that and uh, special things. So I'm not, but I, I wore the t-shirt that night as ragged as it was the bleach in the, in the days leading up to that. I watched it at least five, six times and just to get as much of that yellow out, but I retired it after that night. So, uh, but yeah, so that, that's in my top five. Well, you, and you, you mentioned, you know, like it captures the elements of what, about what makes Halloween so special. And what, what about and both as, you know, someone as an adult and then also someone who is a parent, what makes Halloween special for you? For me, it just, uh, you know, I think it's really being able to take a look at things that are in the corners of our minds, the things that scare us and, and make them, you know, fun and things that we can look at without fear and kind of master them in a way for, for a day and just not let them bother us and, and just have a good time with it. I think that's really a really big deal. I think it's really therapeutic for us as a, as a country, uh, as, as, a, as a, a human race, really. And it's one of the reasons it pains me that some people kind of poo-poo Halloween as, you know, whatever, satanic or not any fun or, you know, whatever. Because I, th- I really think it's, I really think that, that all the holidays, include, especially Halloween, are really an important part of our of our character and they allow us to explore certain things psychologically and, and kind of get them out of our system. Right. So, um, and I think, I think Nightmare Before Christmas definitely does that because it, you know, that's kind of what it portrays is, is a character trying to um, accidentally trying to Halloweenize the wrong holiday and making it terrifying when everyone's expecting the opposite. So uh, I think it's kind of a slight way of, of, you know, showing how Halloween kind of, um, is so different from everything else that we celebrate. Far more different than Sandy Claus. The evil Sandy Claus. Yep. <laughs> incidentally, that is so. So incidentally, the thing about that number for Christmas, not a uh, Tim Burton movie, even though right. Tim Burton is always associated with it. He produced it, but sure. But it was really the brainchild of Henry Selick, who who uh, went on to make some other really good uh, animated movies uh, like Coraline, James and the Giant Peach, James and the Giant Peach, and some others, and. Uh, doesn't always get his due credit for for churning out that little masterpiece uh, back in '93, but uh, uh, yeah, really good filmmaker, and uh, you know, uh, Tim Burton obviously put his stamp on it, but uh, you know, but not, doesn't quite tell the whole story. So right, and I finally saw Coraline last month for the first time. I know oh, better be- better late movie. than never. Oh, absolutely, it's and Terry Hatcher as as a voice actress. Who'd have thunk that one? That perfect absolutely perfect in that oh, yeah role. yeah nailed it yeah something something about that stop motion animation even in, in 2022 something about it just has this really eerie quality that that uh, no other animation style can match and I, I really hope they continue it for the immediate future absolutely yeah and, and see, for me uh halloween everything you said absolutely right you know to gain to explore things that we normally wouldn't especially the, the, the deeper darker and you know sometimes spookier things but <laughs> As a theater person, I just love dressing up and getting into character with stuff. Absolutely. So that 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 that's always fun. You got you got to like. Uh, I'm still bleaching my hair. I'm sorry. I'm still highlighting my hair from my uh, what was that? The, the Fifth Element movie party. Ah. Cor- Cor- Corbin Dallas has literally gone to my head. Well, what's I was left? not in, I was not invited because I didn't have a multi pass. Apparently, I tried to get it to you. I tried. And it was, <laughs> there was, well, if anyone knows me and the podcast, uh, there were technical difficulties. Indeed, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so now, uh, what, what, now with uh, you know, now, what's one of uh, your more comedy laden horror movies that's that's a go to for you? 
I can tell you my number one that's not a uh, family friendly, which would be Tremors. Ah, see, and I even think to include that as a horror movie, but absolutely is. Yep, monster movie. I mean, there's there is a lot of comedy in there, but uh, but yeah, absolutely a, a monster movie. I think it fits right in with uh, with Halloween watching, and uh, yeah, absolutely brilliant, hilarious movie. Uh, made for next to nothing out in the out in the desert uh, back in the late nineties. Uh, and uh, just absolutely brilliant movie. Basically, uh, you know, Kevin Bacon kind of, I don't know if, I don't know if you know the story, but Kevin Bacon actually thought his career was over actually after he made that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, had, a, had almost practically had a nervous breakdown and, and thought everything thought, well, I'm, I'm appearing in a movie about giant worms. It's, it's over and just was ready to pack it up and, and uh, move back to Philly, I believe is where he's from Baltimore, wherever he's from. He's a fellow Pennsylvania. Yeah, he's a Philly boy. Okay. Yeah. He was, and he just, he just thought it was over, but, uh, but you know, just, it's, and you know, obviously a ridiculous premise, but just absolutely brilliantly done um, and, and acted and, and written and everything else. So um, everything happens in broad daylight uh, for the most part, except for a couple of early, uh, deaths and uh, you know out in the out in the desert in the middle of nowhere just the most un- unlikely setting for a uh, for a horror movie but it just really captures this you know the small town dynamic and and has some really funny uh, some really likable characters and some hilarious dialogue and probably the most um, the the most expletive laden dialogue I li- I've ever I, I, I had ever heard when I was ten years old um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I just couldn't believe my ears from some of the stuff the characters said but was laughing my head off the whole time with the rest of my family so uh, yeah and I've, I've only come to live it more since then I have I have all of them on DVD some of them I, I don't watch that much but uh, but definitely the first two or three we watch all the time See, and that's another one that I didn't see until they had a movie party for it at what used to be well, it's Majestic now, where I where I work, but it, when it was still the Alamo Draft House. I saw it first time, so I'm glad I got to see it on the big screen the first time I saw it. And I have since gone on it. I loved it, nice. just like you do. And I went on, I got the Tremors 4-pack. Haven't watched any of the rest of the, the, the subsequent three films, but I, I hear two and three, yeah, but it kind of recaptures the original's glory in the fourth one, or am I getting that confused, the third one? recaptures the first one uh yeah i mean the the, the second one i enjoyed it, it you know it has a different setting and it doesn't have kevin bacon but i think it was really it leaned more into the comedy side of things and i think it was really entertaining that way the third one kind of felt like a rehash of the first one only with less of the actors but it's pretty charming for what it is that the you can tell the budget goes down in the sequels and as they always with, pretty much without fail do yep yeah, which was pretty small to begin with, but the first one had some really imaginative work with practical effects, whereas this, whereas the the uh, the rest of them use some really cheap CGI, but uh, but very entertaining in that in a in a B movie kind of way. Um, but yeah, I would say really the first three are the only ones that that you know are really essentials, but they're all pretty entertaining for what they are. Necessary canon, as as you know, the film people like to say. Yes, and that's. Always, always a source of endless fight is what's canon and what's not. But let's, let's not get into that. <laughs> right. Well, I, and I just have you mentioned the effects and the the practical mm-hmm. effects or the, the uh, you know CGI and all that. But I recently watched uh, my favorite my my favorite horror movie of all time is Fright Night, the original one, not the one with Colin mm. Farrell. Yes. Although we'll get we're going to get to Colin Farrell a little later in this episode, but not for a horror movie because I saw the Banshees of Inisherin earlier today. Mm. So, but Colin Farrell. We don't want to talk about the reboot or the attempted reboot. So, but the original Fright Night, watching that one and just with the effects that they had to use, and I'm I'm also kind of concurrently watching this three. It's a three hour documentary and it covers the first two, uh, the original ones, the Fright Night and Fright Night Two, mm-hmm. with uh, William Ragsdale and and uh, the the great Roddy McDowell, and the special effects that they use, practical special effects all the way through, and just amazing. And yeah, a little bit, some of them don't hold up, you know, what is this, 35 years later, well, more than that now, uh, or almost 35 years later, Uh, but still a very entertaining film. And uh, actually, uh, the friend I watched it with, we uh, made a a drinking game out of it. And it was their idea to take a shot every time you heard the name Charlie mentioned. Oh boy. <laughs> well, we quickly had to change the shots to sips. 
Yeah. Because every time Amanda Bierce, who plays William Ragsdale's Charlie's girlfriend, every time she's on screen and when the mother, uh, Charlie's mother is on screen, you inevitably hear them say, Charlie, it's probably a little bit, of, not much hyperbole here, but at least four to five times you hear Charlie within one scene. <laughs> and that's that's too much drinking. But fortunately, we uh, we played, we continued the the drinking game theme when we watched the next one, and which is uh, probably my number two horror film of all time, The Lost Boys. Yes. And we, we countered uh, the, uh, the drinking. Every time the name Michael was said, we drank some water. Michael. Oh, yeah. So perfectly sobered up, no hangover the next day. So that was, there's a lot of drinking going on. Hey man, you're, you're, put, you're punishing your liver with these games. I'm, I'm sorry. There, well, there's a lot of uh, more alcohol than anticipated with the, 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 the setup that we did for uh, Fright Night. But see, I, I, again, the, I need levity because horror to me, and, you know, I, there, I think back to, you know, uh, I think I've mentioned uh, watching. But what, when I, uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I brought it up when we talked about my love for Planet of the Apes movies. And because we would watch those on Channel 33, like the rainy day afternoons growing mm -hmm. up, the, the UHF channel would show all the creature feature stuff. And growing up watching, you know, the Vincent Price and, and the uh, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, the horror movies back then, because they, they had to rely on practical effects. And there was more tension involved with it. And that's the horror that I love. And by the time you get to the, uh, the 70s, when I, you know, when movies, theater, going to movies at the theater is when I started doing that. But uh, a movie like Halloween, and, and then you, you get into the slasher movies with uh, the Friday the 13th and what that inspired and the slew of movies that came out in, in the 80s. Comedy to me, I mean, horror to me just was stupid. There was no reliance on, I mean, then the David Cronenberg's The Fly, a totally huge exception to that rule on many levels. Uh, so I like comedy in it, the comedy to counterbalance things like, like, like you mentioned, and just having that levity within a horror movie, to me, that amps up the horror because you don't know what you're, if it's, you're going to be laughing or jumping a little bit or just being taken aback a little bit. So Fright Night and Lost Boys definitely up there for me uh, in, in the horror genre. And it's, I, I like two vampire films. To, uh, and then uh, the um, Shaun of the Dead. I'm not, I'm not a zombie person. Never been a zombie movie kind of guy. But Shaun of the Dead, hilarious and scary at the same time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah Shaun of the Dead is, is, is a... Uh perfect mix i think uh, up until maybe the last 15 minutes a perfect mix of of comedic and and terrifying until the end when it kind of tips over into bleak uh horror uh and and kind of the comedy drains away and so so that that's to me that's what keeps it from being a perfect movie but but the first but you know 75 80 percent of that is absolutely a perfect horror comedy in my mind uh just yeah laugh out loud funny uh, very politically incorrect by 21st century standards. Some of the jokes in there. Um, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but during during the uh, the pandemic, you know, some celebrities were out there doing little little uh, you know short films and encouraging mm -hmm. stuff. And and uh, Simon Pegg and, and Nick Frost kind of got together and did a little homage to to uh, Shaun of the Dead. But but Simon Pegg, being being Simon Pegg, had to throw in this little mealy mouthed sjw apology for some of the quasi apology for some of the politically incorrect jokes in there the gay jokes and such and just made me roll my eyes and just say man please stop desecrating your classic work i'm so sick of hollywood actors doing that virtue signaling punk ass whatever you want to call him i, I will refrain from what usually follows punk ass out of my mouth yeah I, yeah i got a, uh, i got a few other words myself but i'll, I'll leave it yeah we'll, we'll um, just leave it we'll, we'll, we'll be you know a, a kinder gentler halloween episode today i also when when they ask on podbean if the the uh content will be explicit i hit no so okay. i'm i'm reining myself in we, <laughs> david stein isn't here to inspire me to uh pop off with with some words that normally wouldn't belong in an explicit list episode so 
Love you, David. But you know, we get together and we we start talking like a couple of sailors. So good. So so what 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 else, like uh, whether it's you know with comedy or non comedy, what 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 else are some of your go tos this time well, of year? Uh, well, so so kind of rolling back into the family friendly side of things. Uh, uh, another one would be Corpse Bride. Oh yes, uh, mm-hmm. Tim Burton movie, which you know at the time it came out, it kind of felt like a. Um, a bit of a retread of Nightmare Before Christmas, but but I'll tell you, it's really become a um, uh, it's really grown in in my love for it over the years. Uh, just a really kind of brilliant uh, animated film about uh, you know the afterlife and you know this whole um, love triangle that develops between two living people and one dead person, and uh, it's very you know obviously very dark and macabre for a family movie, but it's but it's really imaginative and funny as hell. So I would definitely put that on the list. And, you know, a lot of people, myself included, have, you know, we've grown to rolling our eyes with another collaboration between Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. Uh, It works here, but I will say that, you know, uh, Tim Burton and having Helena Bonham Carter as his muse, I think worked quite well, especially in this one, because she just, her... Her looks, and this is a compliment because I find her attractive, but she just has, she can go spooky well, really well, even in, in animated form. It, it works. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, they're they're basically the, the two of them are basically the bogey and Bacall of, of modern day Halloween movies. I mean, there's, you can't, you can't go wrong with either of them. And yeah, I, I have no complaints about Tim Burton casting Johnny Depp or, or Helen Bonham Carter. I think they're up, they both fit into his movies like a glove. Uh, you know, if I had a complaint about Tim Burton, I would say, say, Tim, show me on the doll where the suburbs hurt you, man. <laughs> oh, it just, he, he never gets tired of complaining about the suburbs and it, and it gets old, but, uh, but you know, uh, I think, I think his casting for his movies is almost always spot on. Uh, I, and honestly, I think, I think the one time he really diverted in that was from a, a movie called big fish Yes, uh, with, um, uh, Ewan McGregor, who I thought really was miscast in that movie, honestly. Uh, and, uh, and, but then he had Billy Crudup in there who was, who played a kind of a more serious character surrounded by all these eccentrics. And he was absolutely brilliant in that. But, uh, but, um, yeah, I really thought Ewan McGregor didn't really fit into that movie very well. I, and I don't think Johnny Depp would have either, but I think, uh, I think when, when Burton kind of gets away from his, his, standard casting things get kind of weird so for me my my big and i agree with you and my biggest beef with uh burton who was neck and neck uh he and uh from the 80s into the 90s he if i wasn't going nuts and being in the theater day out on opening night for a film from him it would have been rob reiner and everything up, up until a certain point, I'm like, and then they just kind of tailed off. And my, my beef with Burton is like, you're doing another remake or you're, you're doing a, uh, like an adaptation of something. And it's like, ugh, can we try something? So the depth thing didn't bother me as much as you know, the original, because when he does original material, I think it's when he's at his strongest. Oh yeah. And, and yeah, as far as Rob Reiner goes, he's one of those filmmakers who never seemed to get out of the eighties with his talent intact. He made a couple of good nineties movies, but, but him and John Carpenter, I would say are the two directors who were just absolutely bang on brilliant in the eighties, but, uh, but kind of floundered after that, uh, sadly. Um, See, I like North. So for me, it's everything that he did after American president for, for Reiner. But yeah, but I understand why people don't like North. I just had, for me, uh, Bruce Willis saved that one. I was, I was actually, your personality alone. The only, pretty much the only good thing about that was Bruce Willis just doing, being Bruce Willis. Yeah. So, and a very, another quick aside, you mentioned the suburbs, uh, saw a trailer in front of, uh, Banshees of Anna Sharon, the next Steven Spielberg set in the burbs. It's basically the story of him, the Fablemans. Holy wow! That it's you know what was it you know a writer writes and they write what they know. Spielberg is doing a movie about a kid who grew up making movies. <laughs> it's like it looks. And I, I just for those who still care about the Academy Awards and 
present company. This guy does not, but it's it's got best picture all over it. And thank God after what I felt was just a, an incredibly disappointing third act and which took away everything else from uh, the remake he did last year of West Side Story. So I'm, I'm glad Spielberg's back doing what he does best, making movies about guys who love movies. Absolutely. And I think uh, it's one of those things. I mean, uh, it seems like every filmmaker doesn't get through his career without doing a coming of age story about a character that's basically him. But uh, but, you know, they, they do it pretty well, so I can't really complain. Um, I really hope that this turns into a uh, an Oscar nomination for. Of course, the actor's name is escaping me now that I'm trying to talk about it. But, uh, <laughs> but the, <laughs> but the actor who plays the, the the father in that, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, he was he was uh, the Riddler in the Batman, and um, just uh, uh, oh, Paul Dano, that's his name. Um, just absolutely brilliant actor that I've been I've been keeping my eye on since the the early 2000s when he was I think a teenager starting out, and uh, just absolutely brilliant i mean i I really think he's got um like a young marlon brando type quality as far as the intensity and his ability to be a chameleon and you know he's way overdue for for some awards glory so i so i hope that uh that i think it's called the fablemans that that gets that um because he's he's very much overdue for that kind of recognition and for me so chameleon-esque i didn't even realize that was him in the trailer because they mentioned no actors didn't say michelle williams name didn't say dano's name uh, Seth Rogen's also in. I recognize him because I cannot, I cannot recognize him. But yeah, damn, didn't even realize that. So thanks for bringing that up. As we very, as we quickly diverge, because this is all over the place. We we can talk. We're we're going on one thing. We fly off on a tangent. Pew, squirrel, and you know there we're we're bad. Uh, but I just want to wrap up our Halloween stuff. And uh, I mentioned his name earlier as someone whose music trivia best mine. I, I'm humbly saying it, uh, a movie featuring uh, my, my friend, uh, Zach Selwyn. Uh, it's a, and it's a, surprisingly for me, it's a, it's a zombie movie. Uh, it's a little, little indie called uh, Dead and Breakfast. And really, you know, it's a decent under the radar cast. Uh, also featured, it's, know, of course, now I blank on all the names, but uh, uh, Eric, Eric uh, Pellegrino from ER amongst men. Oh, and, and now Eric Pellegrino is on uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and uh, let's see ever Carradine and, and uh, Robert Carradine. Uh, no, I'm sorry, David Carradine also in it. And it, uh, the guy who played Oswald on uh, Drew Carey show. Why am I blank on his name now? Uh, uh, who's it? Who, did, did, did someone come in with, with with the answer on that one? Is that Diedrich Bader? Diedrich Bader, very good. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and who else is in? Uh, oh, God. I didn't. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is in this movie. I'm, I'm now currently on IMDb, to, so I'm not, I'm not feeling as stupid as I was. And uh, Portia de Rossi also has a, a small role in it, but it's quite a cast. It's a, it's a funny movie, and Zach plays the troubadour, so you get his songs in it as well, and uh, flashing his. Uh, freestyle skills and uh his co- cowboy freestyling stuff uh but yeah jeremy sisto as well but uh, and that that's those are my top five uh throwing in of course uh the nightmare before christmas but yeah just uh it, it pokes fun at not pokes fun, it's uh it's kind of like uh, the movie uh, uh dead again the the peter jackson movie has very oh. much that vibe to it Dead alive, got it. Dead alive, so yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, what, what did I say? Dead again. <laughs> dead, again. Very, oh, dead, dead again. Dead again. Which brings us to <laughs> Kenneth Brano. Yeah. So yeah, th- yeah, thank you for the correction on that one. See, this is why I have no problem saying that my film trivia not as strong as my music trivia. No problem at all. Just start saying stuff. Someone will correct you eventually, Eric. <laughs> so thank, thank you, my co-host. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I, I. Oh my gosh. I. We. We now have an, another. Uh, a past guest in with us. Hello, Martin Zamora. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. <laughs> Martin, Marty Zamora, everybody. So, uh, Marty, uh, thanks for joining us today. We're we're just about to wrap up the the horror movies, and now that you're here, we have to find out your favorite horror movies and and why you like them this time of year or any other time of the year as it may be. Well, uh, off the top of my head, I can I can. Uh, 
Well, gee whiz, I didn't have any time to prepare. I'm going to go ahead and go with, uh, just off the top of my head, the ones that pop up. Uh, one of the first movies to ever really scare me was Dawn of the Dead. Uh, the 19, I guess, 79? Yeah. yeah I, think I, saw that. I think it came into the States, though. I think it was spring of 79 when that showed up here. Oh, that sounds yeah, I know I was uh, already living uh, in my junior high, the place I finished high school at. I was already there when I remember seeing it. Uh, but it, I, I loved everything about it, the way the setup and, I mean, the mall. I mean, just you, you got to love that, you know, Romero going, hey, this is the spot. And it turned out brilliant. I mean, what what a setup you've got, you know, you can hunker down, but, you know, Things fall apart. I, I've always been a fan of the zombie genre, though. See, and th this is why we're here for balance. Zombies, not my thing. Zombies, Marty's thing. So, yes, this is good. Although and, two uh, of my top five movies are, are zombie films. And and just a, a little tip of the hat to Shaun of the Dead, which was <laughs> really good. Yes, we mentioned that one. Yep. Not not really a horror movie. I mean, I guess so, but you know, too funny to make me scared. Um, the thing. That was a the original or the Kurt Russell or uh, both Kurt Russell, the Kurt Russell one. Uh, not really horror, but uh, you know, a little sci-fi horror. Sci-fi horror, absolutely. And I'm assuming you guys brought up The Exorcist. No, we did not. Oh, that that one. Um, so anyone knows me, I'm not a theist or deist or any of that. I, I, it's not my gig. But man, I'll tell you what. I don't believe in ghosts either, but I that movie uh, terrified me. It still does. To this day, I watch it, and it's scary to me. Um, and my wife always teases me because she's like, you're not scared of any horror movies, but the ones with ghosts or spirits or any of that scares the heck out of you, and you don't believe in any of that. Yeah, I don't know. See, it scares it scares what little you're. I know you're a fan of Christmas, so you know there's. A, it scares what very minute amount of Jesus, the big Jesus out of you. <laughs> maybe it scared the Jesus out of me. There you go. That that could maybe that's why we were on the. Yeah, there you have it. So, Mar 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 Marty's religious background explained in, in in less than thirty seconds here on all over the place. <laughs> so, uh, uh, not to uh, drag out your horror, uh, you know. Your segment is about to wrap up. Here. No, we are we are here for our guests. You go. You you do what you got to do. Ah, well, there's a few others uh, that you know may or may not have made the uh, the list. Uh, aliens. Sci -fi. I was going to bring that up. Because a sci-fi horror, absolutely. Yes. Aliens and aliens. Two, the first two yeah. hold up pretty well. Uh, Jaws. I mean, Lord, <laughs> there's another one that really. Scared me so much that uh, when I was a little kid, my stepdad was uh, kind of a half snore, half breathe. I, After my dad dropped me off at home, when I was trying to go to sleep, I could hear him, and I thought it was the shark in my closet breathing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was. I, I'm, I'm sorry to laugh at, at what was traumatic for you as a child. My, I, it's, it's out of love for me, my land friend. Sharks. Out of love. <laughs> exactly exactly i i was so terrified that i couldn't do the math on uh they breathe water they just i don't know so he, I, he, he's just a porpoise sir he's just a porpoise yeah well not on purpose and i i did not say what what was originally said on saturday night live i tried to avoid any if uh lauren michaels ever wants to come and sue us uh, I, I i don't want that to be a, a sticking point Oh no, he was talking about the uh, the IPA land shark, the the port the porpoise of purpose. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know if you guys talked about uh, the the Rob Zombie movies. I don't know if you're a fan. I I happen to be uh, of some of them. See, as much it's, as I love Rob Zombie's music, I have not been a fan of his movies. I, I respect him as a filmmaker. I, I like what he's trying to do. It's just typically not my thing. Yeah, well, admittedly, it's a bit cartoonish. It's, uh, I will say uh, House of a Thousand Corpses is a very effective uh, quasi-Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Very yes, effective for what it's trying to do. I wasn't a fan of the follow-ups, but I, I will say that was a, a pretty darn effective uh, scary flick. That was Devil's Rejects, one of the follow-ups on that one, or did that come yeah, first? And then yeah. the, the, something about the three. The 
Three from Hell. Three from Hell. Thank you. That one I didn't see. I I, I liked Devil's Rejects. Not oh, obviously not as much as much as Thousand Corpses, but I uh, I did like it, and I think only because I liked House of a Thousand Corpses so much, I wanted the story to keep going. And that wife of his is something else to look at. So hey. I'm glad you added to look at because let's just there. face it. Sherry, <laughs> Sherry, is it Sherry Zombie? Sherry, Sherry, Moon, Sherry Moon Zombie. There you go. I got, got half half of it right. Thank you. See, folks, Jim is our. He is absolutely our film dude. I'm good. Jim's great. Jim is. Can I get awesome. that on a business card? Because that, that would be that'd be great. Yeah, just put it on the bag. You put it for because I think we're. I'd like to. You know, wait, I can't remember. What you, you had a good drop earlier. That I'm gonna when I finally put the compilation of our clip clips together for the theme to go over the theme music. I'm gonna use one from earlier, but so you did that, and and I will put uh, I will be your endorser on the back. Jim is our our go to dude. Okay. <laughs> research. Quote me on that one. Yes, quote. He's um, the research team. Film absolutely. He's our cinematic guru. Uh, well, here's one for you guys, and and, and this is a movie that uh, like Aliens and like the the sci-fi ones you brought up, Marty, one that walks in in different uh, different genres. Uh, Silence of the Lambs, which I think can totally be taken as a horror film, on my just list. as much as it's a thriller. On my list, and uh, just maybe not so scary as some of the others, but brilliant. Creepy just, more than anything. Yeah, yeah. There you go, there you go. And uh, just, I mean, a, a brilliant cast. That movie, I mean, it's in my in my top fifty for sure. Just of of any genre. That's you know. Absolutely. The nineties were a magical time when you could take a movie about a serial serial killer and elevate it into something like silence of the lambs or seven or something like that you know it really yeah. broke out of its genre and, and was able to make something really special out of it and uh, i i definitely miss that that cinematic time when things didn't always stay in their little genre box and and uh, they were able to break out and do, become something really great and yeah. also it 90s and, and i know it it led to a, a, a far too many copycat of found footage films but I th- the original Blair Witch Project spooked me like few movies had. Yeah, that, that was a little prior. spooky. And I was lucky oh, yeah. enough, uh, a friend of mine, uh, a Hollywood uh, a producer's assistant, and he was able to uh, snag a VHS copy of a copy of a copy. Oh. So I'm watching. So it's already grainier than it should be. That's just worse. Oh, that's and, that's and I'm I, I lived across from uh, a, a, a secluded or semi secluded woods, which the cracking right. of the the branches, all that stuff, I could hear all that and just really added, really heightened. But again, it, it led to like the Friday the Thirteenth leads to all those slasher movie copycats, Blair Witch, and it just got played out to the point where now we're the yeah. modern horror movies, and thank God the Blumhouse it, it Get Out scared the hell out from a modern standpoint that is probably the scariest movie i've seen in the 21st century on multiple really? levels i had have not seen that one uh to quote big red i'm going to circle back here real quick something i noticed <laughs> uh house of a thousand corpses and uh, mo- most of it, most of rob's movies um he tends to lean towards you know the the murderous crazy person is the you know Turns out winning and turns out being the, you know, the focus and the, and the good guy sort of not good guy, but you know, anti-hero and silence of the lambs does that very brilliantly um, with Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a complete role reversal. You don't see it coming in, until three quarters of the way through the movie. And then suddenly you realize that, that uh, this, you know, this psycho is, is one of the protagonists and that he's going to get away. I thought that was a really brilliant turn by that movie. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like you, you when you start off with him, you you look at he's a, he's a scary, crazy guy. But midway through the movie, you you can't help but like him. You can't help but be drawn to him. Absolutely. Uh, and, and Jim, help help us out here because again, Jim Culver, our cinematic guru, if I'm not mistaken, and it may have been broken since, but at the time he was the winner of best actor with the smallest amount of screen time. Am I correct on that one? Uh, yeah, I believe he was, 
I can't remember how many minutes I, but it was it was less than fifteen minutes screen time, and he ended up winning, I think, best actor for. Well, he did win best because that movie won the big five: actor, actress, right. original screenplay, picture, and director. Right. So yeah, definitely. Uh, and you know, looking back, you you know, it, he feels like an integral part of that movie. You, you know, you feel his presence throughout it. So it doesn't feel like he's only in it for fifteen minutes, but yeah, wow. but. Um, yeah, classic example of, of no small parts, but uh, only small actors. <laughs> yeah, this is true. He's Welsh. Yeah, Come on, man. Don't pick on the small aspect of him. Come they, on. Uh, he can't. And they, through the whole movie, they repeatedly uh, refer to him and what he said or what he's done or what he knows. And So even though he's not on screen acting, he's that character is constantly at the front of your brain through the whole movie. And did you get, and you guys probably have, uh, but any of the subsequent films I never saw. So whether it was Hannibal or what was uh, the Red, Red Dragon, I didn't, I, what was it? The t- I, I've heard decent things about Hannibal. And yeah, that's, that's, that's the one with, uh, with Gary Oldman and, and Ray Liotta both, right? Yeah. And that's, so I, mean, I think, is it, is it Law Diminishing Returns or, or are they like, which ones, if any, are worthy of Silence of the Lambs? Uh, if you want to take that one, I, I would say no, but I, w- I would say Hannibal, definitely not because it really inverts the first movie where it has Hannibal basically on the run and it essentially reduces him to a slasher movie villain where he's running around, hiding in the shadows, killing people. It has, it has a really, a really good ending with Ray Liotta, which I won't spoil in case you ever see it, but uh, there, it really leans into the the how dark and disgusting the character can be, but um, it just didn't feel like a worthy successor to Silence of the Lambs, um, and I really didn't like Julianne Moore. Uh, her take on uh, Clary Starling was was just really subpar. Um, <laughs> it's Red funny Dragon. The more, you talk, the more you talk about it, the more I remember that I definitely did see it. <laughs> well scott yes. ray Liotta and gary oldman i'm surprised i haven't seen it yet well, and those are the those are the the, the things that I, I mean to me jumped out as really nice you know little add-on to a decent movie is it had some really good actors in it it did yeah definitely um i i will i mean i will say red dragon kind of gets a bad rap i don't think it's nearly as good as it could have been uh, I think it, but I think it was able to reestablish the formula by by being a prequel that had Hannibal Lecter uh, back in chains again, and so he was more had more of that caged animal quality that really worked better for for that character. It kind of spoils the fun when he's not in that mode. Um, so it, it was able to kind of recapture that, but uh, it had the, the the main plot line. I, I will say Edward Norton was very good as as the the uh, the hero. Um, but the uh, a lot of screen time went to Ray Fiennes as this kind of uh, like buffed up hulking serial killer with mommy issues. Mm. Uh, it really didn't work very well because <laughs> I'm sorry. You mean Jason? Jason? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jason without a ski mask, exactly. Um, but I feel like the movie tried so hard to elicit sympathy for him and his issues that that was completely out of whack with the things he was doing in the movie that it just it really kind of ruined the the experience so um probably closer in in spirit to the first movie red dragon was but still not not quite worthy of it and, and i'm glad you brought up lecter being caged because silence of the lamps was not the first adaptation of the book that's true and for me michael mann's manhunter does not get nearly as much love as it deserves and brian cox as Hannibal Lecter or just Dr. Lecter in uh, credit wise, that movie and, and also featuring the mighty, the mighty Dennis Farina manhunter deserves more love than it gets. Not as, not as spooky or not, not as, you know, that chilling as signs of the lambs, but definitely a movie that deserves to be mentioned more it, w- w- with those characters. Yeah, I would say so. And Brian Cox, by the way, one of those actors that I'm pretty sure was born middle aged. Uh, <laughs> every, every you can go back to the '70s, everything you see him in, he looks like he's about fifty. So, oh, that's funny. <laughs> and I and I noticed uh, I, I can tell the the value and the 
the uh, quality of <laughs> of the one that we we didn't even bother to mention the uh, the last uh, the last part uh, Hannibal Rising. Oh, the prequel. Yeah, I, I forgot all about that. The I never saw it. That, yeah, I never did either. I I think I saw maybe the trailer and went, nah, not for me. Now, and isn't there a, a TV? Didn't NBC do an adaptation of it as well, or one of the networks do a Hannibal TV show? Yeah, the one, the one with Mads Michelson. Oh, uh, see, that's more than I know. I just like, like I, <laughs> I haven't seen any of them since Silence of the Lamb, so I'm in, I'm out. Yeah, there was a there. Yeah, there was a a show with uh, Mads Mikkelsen uh, playing playing Hannibal, and I I, know, I haven't seen it. I've but I've heard good things. So one of those that yeah. I it's on my someday list. So is um, did we? I, I missed the first part. Did we spend the most time talking about? Silence of the Lambs uh, of any of these movies? How do you mean? Well, well uh, actually, 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 before you were right, we were talking about, you know, because Jim has, has some of the more family-friendly fare, like whether it's, you know, uh, Coraline or uh, both, both in both of our top fives, the uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas, more of the family-friendly stuff. And uh, see, unlike... You, Marty, you're, you're more uh, sounds like more of a horror aficionado and not liking the comedy elements of something like Shaun of the Dead. Whereas I need that in no, my I, comedy films because I, I grew up with the '50s ones, like the Vincent Price movies, which were just played to me like Edgar Allan Poe stories read, just because oh, the, 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 because of the effects or because the, the the special effects were you know it was the '50s. What could you do? They're all practical effects. And then when you get into the seventies and it just, and then beyond with the slasher movies and just it, it just seemed too too heavy and too too grisly. Whereas I, I liked more of the mind games. Uh but I, I need comment like Fright Night and Lost Boys are my top two. Yeah, I, I love Lost Boys. I love Nightmare Before Christmas. Um and I guess I already covered Shaun of the Dead. That was just, you know. Oh, how 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 can I also forget from the, the great uh 80s mind? of comedy mixed with horror, the first child's play, which unfortunately has gotten diluted with all of the sequels and TV shows and everything else. I don't know how good or bad those are. I I stopped after the second child's play, but the first child's play, badass horror slash comedy. And leaning more horror though. You ask 10 people and they wouldn't remember that the movie's called child's play. Yeah. Chucky. Yeah. Good point. That's right. It's not called Chucky. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, one more that just popped into my head that we, I don't know if you guys mentioned it, uh, American Werewolf in London. Oh my God, there you go. A, a brilliant werewolf film. So good. Absolutely. Just loved all of that. Love those old school cha- uh, transformation effects. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Looked like claymation. <laughs> the mighty Rick Baker literally cut, and, and, and also coming after that one, and there's no comedy. There's, I love and it, although it scares the hell out of me, it scared the hell out of me as watching on HBO at Grandma's house in the summer. The Howling still plays well. I watched that a couple of months yeah. ago. Still a scary movie. Yeah, not not, not American Werewolf in London, but not many steps underneath that one. Yeah, that, that's very good. Would you consider? No, that's a thriller. Never mind. Let's say Duel. <laughs> that's a that's a thriller. There's there was no horror in that. I like what you did there, though, with Thriller and Rick Baker doing the effects for Michael Jackson. Very good. You know, sometimes my mind confuses even me. <laughs> well, and I, we're actually, we're, we're uh, running short on time because I know Jim has got, Jim actually has some trick-or-treating to do tonight with his with his son. But I, uh, we, I mentioned at the top of the show, this is also a midterm election eve live stream. And have we, were there, are there any horror movies more fake, I mean, more harrowing than the recent attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband. Yes, that is shocking, and uh, someone uh, someone should look into it. Like, well, whoever is going to say the thing they want to say um, or to be said immediately, find well, somebody with the story uh, already all sewn up in a nice uh, little pouch and. All the facts are already sorted out, and let's not look any further, and let's move on to the next thing. 
I, I was talking with my mom about this. She asked me about this the other day, and and I mentioned it, it was staged. It was this, I mean, just think about all the elements. And she's like, I can't believe you'd say that. I'm like, Mom, it's all the and this is you know, God love her. My mother, amazing woman. Obviously, she's my mom. This, but the fact that she doesn't even think about what isn't. I mean, it's does well, any of this does any of this story make sense? That it's not staged if you look at it through. And, and a midterm election is approaching. You've got to scare people into wanting, wanting to do gun control, even though this was done with a hammer. Or it's like, come on. Are, 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 I have a, we're I have more a different now, aren't we? Uh, well, may, uh, yeah. <laughs> I have a, a different potential twist in that uh, mama was away and the boyfriend was over and uh, things went awry. Oh. Yeah. So uh, let me just uh, read this because I thought it was brilliant. Um, uh, it's not 100% accurate, but it's it's pretty accurate. You guys will enjoy this. Uh, here we go. Uh, so we're so if we're to believe the media, a rainbow flag waving nudist prostitute got up at 2 a.m. <laughs> on Friday morning, decided to create two random websites with hundreds of posts about QAnon and Big Brother in the dead of night, then stripped down to his underwear, grabbed a hammer, and jogged all the way to Nancy Pelosi's house, and miraculously breached two layers of max level secret service security designed to protect the third most powerful person in the world with nothing but a hammer and some tidy whities and finally shouted where's nancy before smacking paul in the head with a hammer in front of the cops without being absolutely riddled with bullets this guy is basically jason Bourne, apparently <laughs> he, he could Come on, who hasn't been there you know <laughs> He could break two layers of federal security in, in an assassination attempt, but didn't bother to check if Nancy was even in the country. <laughs> That's my little uh, joy today. I, and I'll be sure to play this for my mother, or at least read that back to my mother, and uh, hopefully oh, she'll oh. jump on board with this. And now, both of you guys are, and Marty, you're you're freshly back in your home state of California. Jim, of course, you're up in Washington. Uh, I'm the only one here who has, or at least on paper, a sane government, although more Californians keep creeping into Arizona to try and Californicate us. But what what is the atmosphere like for you guys? Because this midterms, just like any election, typically don't matter because there's no Republican opposition. But it has, is that different this year with, with a red wave happening across the country? What, what What's it like to be in the, the usual deep blue stuff? Is there any opposition that's going to make it even a, a semi challenge? Beyond, I'm, I'm guessing the uh, Marty. How close are you following the uh, mayoral race in LA, which actually might go independent slash leaning right? Well, in answer to your question, uh, I have three words for you: no. <laughs> uh, so I haven't been following uh, the election because. Uh, uh, on a national level, I believe this, but definitely here in California, um, I believe that they campaign for about a year. Uh, they let us vote, and then they pretend to count the votes, and then they tell us who won. Uh, so I've thought that since I was about 15 when someone explained it all to me. Uh, but uh, I don't see any of I don't see any changing to any slight purple over here. But I will say that the community what i see who i talk to is not nearly as blue as i thought oh. uh it is um there's a shocking amount of vehicles that still have trump stickers and um a shocking amount of houses with trump flags um see okay you don't live on the coast therein lies that's why that's happening you're, you're not a coastal guy yet. You live in uh, dirt bike country, which is typically people with a little bit of a uh, little bit of sense. Um, but uh, shockingly, I, I thought maybe I was going to move here and it was just going to be an unbearable barrage that would keep me locked in my office all day. But it hasn't <laughs> been so bad. <laughs> now, what, what about you, Jim? Any potential hope there? Because, I, um, because you was just as you've mentioned, it's just Seattle which is the bluest of blue. And, and when you get into the right. burbs, sanity tends to take over, much like what, what Marty was talking about with Cali. Yeah, I mean, I live on the fringe of Seattle, which means I live on the fringe of the fringe. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say, I'd like to say that there's some hope because we, you know, the, the 
to give my my state Republicans credit, there's, you know, they've, they've got some candidates like Tiffany Smiley that are giving our uh, that are giving our senators a run for the money and, you know, putting the shifting them in like the So they, they've been Democrats have been blanketing the airwaves with ads and they never do that. Just attack, 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 just pumping money into this race, which they almost never do because they always win it in a cakewalk. And so, so, they, so, they, so they are spooked. So they are spooked and I'll give Republicans Even a little for that. They've got, they're in, they're in, you know, Apollo Creed mode. You know, he don't think it, he doesn't know it's a damn show. He thinks it's a damn fight. But uh, so <laughs> they, they are actually having to fight back for the first time in forever. And uh, so that is beautiful to see right now. They're, they're showing neck and neck in the polls, but which is, which is impressive, but I've just having lived here for, you know, 25 years, I've been down this road so many times where mm. a really good Republican candidate comes out and they get really close you know, we, we went through this deal with Dino Rossi where he he won by a, a small margin and then the Democrats shut everything down and said, we got to do some recounts. And then they they recounted and recounted until they suddenly found new ballots and got ahead. And then they shut down the recount and said that said we won and it's over. So I've been down this road before. I think it would be fantastic. It's it's great to see that there's enough enough Republican voters that are that are Republican leaning voters that are that are pushing things more neck and neck. But I think the thing about being in a blue state now is, is and Martin kind of alluded to this too, but you have to, it's not enough to win as a Republican. You have to be win by a huge margin so that they can't find 10,000 ballots in the back of their, in the trunk of their car at three in the morning and, and pull ahead. Well, that's finally to the point where our side needs to find ballots as well. <laughs> well, see, the problem is then the media might actually call, call out, uh, election fraud for the first time in history if, if, if they did that but, well, uh, they've called, they called election fraud in 2016 well they they did um uh they tried <laughs> they said it a lot and then yeah. you know it didn't take them very many years to forget that they said it <laughs> and, and now they're oh i can't believe what it, this i can't believe it why why is this guy going around saying there's election fraud that's the most ridiculous thing ever yeah. Wait. After, after after four years of seeing that that Trump Trump sold the election, they yeah. immediately said, "Oh, it's impossible to steal an election." Yeah, <laughs> funny how that I works. I can tell you, like you know, there's a few guys out there going around talking to these people and going, "Well, I, I just read your quote back to you from 2016 <laughs> or 2017," and they, you know, they're dumbfounded. I will, um, I will, I will, I will. Well, and, and I, I read something on one of a Facebook friends' uh, thread earlier today, or a minute ago, but it was. Uh, Back east, uh, Virginia is where he is. I don't remember if he was talking about his state or not. Or, but the opposition, Democrat opposition, as their big thing is to paint the right, uh, the the Republican candidate, as an extremist who is going to roll back abortion laws and do is going to make it a national thing. Well, it's already been done that way. They don't need to do it on a state level. But it's, and but that's what's happening here. Whether it's Blake Masters who's running uh, for state senate against Mark Kelly. Who I love the uh, uh, signs I've seen of. Uh, Mark Kelly votes ninety four percent of the time with Joe Biden. That's effective. Just say the truth. Don't paint these, you know, these elaborate hyperbole laden ads. And they're doing the same thing to Carrie Lake. And it's oh, this is happening all over the country. Apparently, where you paint them as the extremist. It's. But yeah. do you think that I mean, obviously, in, in the bluest of, of places, you know, like whether it's California or Washington or New York. Where I'm hearing even New York uh, has a Republican on, on on the verge, and again, we don't want to get too excited about this, but um, yeah. what do you think? Enough people are, are savvy enough to see through the bullshit this time and not allow the ballots to keep coming in and keep coming in, or is it uh, what, what Marty? What you said earlier is like, well, you know what? They're just going to put the person in who they they see most fit anyway after they make us think that we uh, we've well, actually mattered. All right. Well, so I'll give you an analogy here. <laughs> I've been watching boxing my whole life since I was a little kid. My grandfather used to take me. And uh, the the saying that's been for years and years, and it's not so much anymore, um, to win a fight in Puerto Rico, if you're not Puerto Rican, you got to knock the guy out to get a draw. <laughs> and yep. that's usually what happens here is, you know, like, like you had said, uh, you know, it, it's <laughs> you pretty much got to, just to get just to get a, a a draw, you've got to completely dominate, you know. And I don't. I just look. I, I've said this for years, and this is one of my 
favorite and least favorite sayings because how true it is. People love to forget. They just mm. they love to forget. And I think it's I think it's part of our uh, in our DNA or maybe part of how we've evolved over the last oh I don't know six seven hundred years. Uh, but you know, once upon a time we became smart enough to realize we were going to die, <laughs> and we had to get that horrible thing we have to walk around with a piano over our head all day long every day and we have to function so we had to figure out how to sort of push it down well the the negative side of that it, that helps us a lot by the way it keeps us moving forward but the negative side is we love to forget we can't wait to forget Peter Island monkeypox whatever there's a, you can point to a million things where we've we've gone we've been become outraged uh, and then we forgot we moved on with our lives because we're not hungry you know we're not in a lot of danger and we move on and it's you know it's it's a shame but i i, I see that what's going to happen is the same thing is they're going to do what they need to do to make it happen and we're going to become outraged and then we're going to forget about it and on to the next thing and that and i don't mean we as people <laughs> the people on this call i mean yes. we as a society we love to just move on you right know, is phone charged um you know do i do i have the uh the right amount of indignation or, you know, you know, fill in the blank entitlement and they move on, you know, it, it's, it's a shame. So I guess, like I said at the beginning, <laughs> three words for you. No, no. <laughs> and uh, no, before we get going, I do, you, you touched on something there, Marty, that uh, with boxing and there's another trailer that I saw recently for Creed three. And I am so jazzed for this. Uh, I love, the Rocky movies up there with the, the Planet of the Apes as my favorite. And it, uh, even this is the first Rocky film that will not have Sylvester Stallone in it. And normally I would be all like, and I am sad about that. And I, I, I it's, it's the anti goosebumps, goosebumps that I get on that one because it's, this has been a character for, you know, since I was eight years old. Uh, but the new one, uh, Creed, uh, uh, Michael Michael B. Jordan's character is going to be fighting a black man for the heavyweight title of the world. So two black guys going at it for the first first time since you know it just seems like uh, you know uh, Mike Tyson was fighting somebody or Evander Holyfield was fighting something. But I, I just think of and that we're going to get back we're going to loop this back to the Steven Spielberg conversation we had earlier with Chris Rock and Chris Rock's going to be so happy on this one because my introduction to Chris Rock was his on Saturday Night Live his joke. Uh, being, I mean, it was from his stand-up, but he brought it to SNL. Uh, you know, uh, Rocky Four, boy, uh, two white guys fighting for the heavyweight title of the world. That Spielberg sure is something, because you know, for every every white guy, because the, the lower you go on the socioeconomic scale, it the better boxer you are. So for every white guy, there's a black guy that's going to be his ass. For every black guy, there's a Puerto Rican that's going to be his ass. And for every Puerto Rican, there's a Native American who's going to kick his ass. That Spielberg sure is something. Or in this case, that that Ryan Cogler coming back for Creed Three, he sure is something. Well, um, I, I got I, there's uh, not to uh, not to rain on a, a terrific joke because that's really good. But uh, Chris Rock, if he took a look now, he'd he'd be uh, <laughs> he'd be shocked. Big, well, for Chris Rock big. now, that 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 Will Smith sure is something. Well, I'll tell you, the heavyweight champion of the world, the dominant, dominant heavyweight champion of the world, and I mean the, the the dominant, dominant guys that are knocking everybody the hell out on the way up, show up, and he, they can't even compete with him. That's how dominant he is. However, he is a big, dumb, white guy with a dad bod. His name is Tyson Fury. <laughs> and he's oh. been the dominant heavyweight champ. I was about to say, white, white, is, white. He, is he Russian? Because again, when we go the lower lower you go on the socioeconomic scale, and Russians sure as hell are poor on the bottom of their scale. Hill, there you go. Uh, no, he's British. Yeah. He's okay. Just a gotcha. But hey, the, the previous uh, dominant force was some big dumb Russian guy. So you know, let's go. I don't know boxers yeah. anymore. That's your thing. Yeah. Well, so, no, you hit that on the head. The Klitschko uh, brothers. Hey, there we go. Anyway. All right. Well, Jim, I, I, I want to I I make sure you get out there for the trick-or-treating. 
up, up there with your with your boy. And actually, what, what what is your son going as this year? Uh, he is going as he he he's wearing like a. It's hard to describe. But he's wearing like a mask with eyes and no and no nothing else on the face. So it's kind of a creepy eyes only alien mask. Oh, it's definitely the scariest thing he's won so he's he's worn so far. Usually he goes as a you know Pokemon or something. So this is definitely a step up in the scary department. He, he's moving into to Halloween territory here. I like Indeed. it. Indeed. Yep. Yep. Can we well done. See that, that that's just good parenting. So well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. How old is he, Jim? Uh, he just turned twelve. Well, oh, so, so the last years would be the, the, the waning years of Halloween going trick or treating. Yes, possibly, probably, yep. probably by next year he'll be going with just his friends, and then the year after that is where you get into trouble. That's <laughs> kind of where we're at. Our our plan is to lock him in the basement once we get to that point. <laughs> yeah, usually you can get one good year on your own without causing too much ruckus, and then that second year you're really feeling your freedom and your readies, and you do something stupid. Yeah, well, rule number one is you can't take the toilet paper out of the house, so can't keep <laughs> in this house. Boo! That's poor parenting. Poor. <laughs> you you just went from hero to zero in my book, my friend. That's it. If well, he finds, well, if, if if he finds boys... toilet paper somewhere else, I'm not going to, you know. There you go. He's got to get creative then. That's what he's got to do. He just can't there take you. our stuff. We need it, man. I will neither deny nor confirm anything in my Halloween past that my my All dad right, i'm sure well, tossed at some point but hey well guys uh in, in the blue states best of luck tomorrow with, with what's going on to make things a little bit more purple in your next of the woods and folks as all marty thanks for stopping in always always good hearing you my friend and uh all over me. the place we're gonna be back more frequently i'm into the new place and you know new new podcast next week jim and i'll get together we're gonna figure out the time but hey Thanks again, as always, folks, for listening to All Over the Place, and we'll be back at you soon with the next episode. Take care, everybody.